this is a great day. It's a beautiful day outside. But I did not sleep well last night. And before sunrise, I found myself over here, as happens from time to time, to just pray. Our eyes have seen some dreadful things recently. We have seen, in less than four months, 105,000 and counting of our fellow citizens die from the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen in less than two months, 25% of the workers in our nation become unemployed. We have watched in horror as armed vigilantes have run down, shot down an unarmed black man in Brunswick, Georgia, Ahmad Arbery. We have watched an unarmed and handcuffed black man George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota pleading for air dying face down in the street with police officers knee on his neck we have seen many of our largest cities in the last several days in flames Groups of marauding and pillaging thieves and arsonists under the guise of protests. We have seen the hard-working citizens of many of these cities lose their life's work and their life's savings destroyed in what's happened. We've seen first responders and officers of the law fired upon, cursed, spat upon. What is happening? What is this all about? And God, do you have anything to say about it? I know I'm only articulating things that you've already thought yourselves. Maybe said to each other, definitely said in your own heart. What does God have to say about all this? And you know, to me, nothing is more important than that. We need light in the darkness, don't we? We need true north when we're lost. We need absolute truth when everything in our culture has become relative. 
God this morning laid this passage on my heart in answer to some of those things. I want us to hear the word of the Lord. This is not the message, but I think it might be the message. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 takes us back over 2,700 years, but it seems like we're reading the front page of the paper or the lead articles on news websites. Isaiah 59. I'd like to read this if you're able here in the auditorium if you're able and at home wherever you are to stand would you please stand let's hear the word of the Lord here's a word from the Lord about our condition right now right now in this country verse 9 of Isaiah 59 Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon, as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt. Conceiving and uttering from our heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and righteousness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. That's our condition. But I thank God for our champion. The Lord our God, and he enters this terrible situation. Verse 15, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede Now a blessed word. Then. Then his own arm. Brought him salvation. 
and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands. He will render repayment so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream and the wind of the Lord drives which the Lord drives, and a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Thank God for a Redeemer. Thank God who won, who comes in the midst of of his wrath he comes with mercy and righteousness that's our champion that's our champion where are you looking for your champion he is our champion and what is our commission what are we to do verse 21 And as for me, this is my covenant with him, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you, my spirit that is upon you, and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or of your children's offspring, says the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, have mercy upon us. Lord, lift our eyes up to you. You are our champion. You are our leader. You are our guide. You are our savior and our king. O oh Lord God, we pray for your mercy. We pray for our nation. We pray, O God, that you would grant your grace to us. What can we ask of you but for your mercy and your grace? O Lord God, in this dark hour, you, the great champion, Come in your power and come with your grace and bring salvation, O Lord. Where sin has abounded, your grace superabounds. 
We believe this with all of our hearts. We know this to be true. Oh, Lord, send out your light and your truth. And, Lord, send it out from us. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, oh, God, for any way that we have turned away from injustice. For any way that we have covered with a veneer of politics that which is unrighteous. O Lord God, may we have you and you alone as our king. God, may you rule in our hearts. Lift up our eyes to you, O Lord. Grant us your strength that we, your people, may be instruments of your peace. Oh, Lord God, we pray for our leaders. We ask, Lord God, that you will give them, first of all, a knowledge that they are but men and women, and you are God. Bring salvation to their hearts and minds. Oh, Lord, we pray for our nation, and we pray now for ourselves You have brought us into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Lord, yes, the night is dark, but the light shines. And the darkness cannot overcome it. For it is the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You, O Lord, have ordained that your Son will be famous for his salvation to the ends of the earth. And when all hope is gone humanly, oh God, that's when we find the eternal hope in Christ. And now, Lord, may your spirit in fulfillment of this word be upon us. Your spirit, the fullness of your spirit be upon us. And may your word be in our mouth, a word of grace and truth. Just like Christ, our King, who was filled with grace and truth. Lord, we ask these things of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the people of God said, Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, folks. This coming Wednesday night, I'm so grateful. A number of pastors have agreed to come and lead in a community prayer service from here at 7 o'clock. And so grateful for these ones that will be coming and sharing. And I encourage you, if you can, to participate online, invite others. We desperately need to seek the Lord. This is a, a time of commencement. And it... It's amazing to me if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, where the Lord has us on this Sunday. I should not be surprised because over and over again he's demonstrated that he has an uncanny ability of knowing what is to come. Isn't that something? And so here we are on this Sunday as we recognize the commencement of these wonderful seniors and we are here in our study in Luke. If you are our guest, 
We are making a journey through the Gospel of Luke, and we come this morning to this section that can rightly be called a kingdom commencement. A kingdom commencement, because the Lord in His ministry is showing His authority. He is going about throughout the region of Galilee. He's doing good. He's preaching the truth of God. He is healing people that are afflicted emotionally, spiritually, and physically. He is also laying the foundation for the new expression of his kingdom. You see, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what are we talking about? In effect, the kingdom of God is the rule of the king. It's the rule of the king. And our God has been ruling for quite a long time. (laughs) But God demonstrates that kingdom, his kingdom on earth, he demonstrates it in different seasons, different ways. And we are living today... In the expression of the kingdom that we know as the church. The church, the body of Christ. Made up of all people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And physically expressed in the gatherings of people just like this. Around the world. People who know Christ have surrendered to him. That's the expression of the kingdom. And Jesus is preparing for this new expression. He's laying the foundation through his life and his ministry, his teaching, but he's also now preparing for when he is gone physically. He is going to leave. But he's going to leave the work of the kingdom with those that he selected. And everything that is happened in the name of Christ these 2,000 years goes back in a sense to this commencement that we are looking at in our Bibles this morning. So it's very interesting and very appropriate word for all of us here. I want you to notice some things about the the commencement of this kingdom. Notice in chapter 6 In verses 12 to 16, we have the Lord selecting his kingdom partners. His kingdom partners. We're told that as he is preparing his kingdom for when he is gone, he is going to choose his team, if you could use that expression, to lead the kingdom. And here's how... Those ones were chosen to lead the kingdom going forward under the Lord. Notice verses 12 and 13. The Lord chose some partners. And they are sovereignly selected. He himself selected them. Verses 12 and 13. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Now these men were chosen by the king himself. They did not 
choose themselves. They did not make themselves his team. He chose them. It was not a team's decision. It was his decision. He told them many times, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. The Lord chose these men to be the founders, so to speak, humanly, of the church. Now notice this, though. Notice how the king, King Jesus, arrived at his decision. How did he do this? It says he went out and he prayed all night. He's the son of God. He's God incarnate. He's facing one of the most important decisions in his entire life on earth and one of the most important decisions for the ages. And how did he approach that decision? He went out and he prayed fervently all night long. You know, that brings a question to my mind. How do we make our significant decisions? How do we make our significant decisions? Is prayer a part of our decision making? Is prayer our first response or is it our last resort? I mean, if nothing else works, I've tried, I guess I could go with prayer. <laughs> no. He prayed. I want to say to some seniors here, you're facing some big decisions. Big decisions over the next few years. You'll be making some of the most momentous decisions of your life. Let me encourage you with all my heart. To bathe those decisions in prayer. Because God is for your good. God is so good, he cannot be unkind. And he is so wise, he cannot be mistaken. Someone as well said, we would choose what God would choose if we had the sense to choose it. God will lead us. He is a real God. Pray to him about the big decisions. Lay them before him, graduates, and watch him guide you in his truth. These apostles are sovereignly selected. But now also notice they're a surprising choice. They're a surprising choice. Look at verses 14 and 16 who, through 16. Who did he choose? Verse 14 says he chose Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, as we look at that list of names and his choice, it's surprising to us. I mean, I can guarantee you that uh, no consultant would have brought these 12 together. No recruiter would have called up headquarters and said, I have found the team. No. It was, it's surprising to us as we read these names. You know what? Let me tell you something else. It was surprising to them. 
it was surprising to them. You can imagine looking at each other. Those 12 men, after they're called out to stand, chosen, they're no doubt many of them looking there and saying, Him? Really? <laughs> them? Those guys? They're surprising. They're surprising in a, their diversity. These, these people are not alike. They're so diverse. Look at some of the men he called. He called fishermen. At least four of them were fishermen. One of them is a tax collector. And who have the fishermen been paying taxes to all their life long? This tax collector, Matthew. Four fishermen, one's a tax collector, one is a government protester. He's a protester against the government. He's called Simon the Zealot. The Zealot means zelotes. It was a political party. It was a group of Jewish people who were radically opposed to the Roman government. And Jesus chose a government protester as one of his apostles for founding the church. And then, as the mind of God, we cannot understand the Lord not only chose a government protester, he also chose an imposter. He chose Judas Iscariot. These are surprising choices. They're surprising in their diversity. And they're also surprising in their deficiencies. Friends, listen, we need to understand this is not the dream team here. This is not the Chicago Bulls of discipleship, okay? I, I mean, how can this team possibly be the foundation of the kingdom? How can this team possibly be the foundation of the kingdom well guess what they're not they're not really the foundation of the kingdom because the kingdom is not founded on them the kingdom is ultimately founded on him founded on their king it's very clear these 12 men are definitely not up to the task Definitely not up to the task. But now notice this. Their being up, not up to the task, the fact that they were not up to what lies ahead, did not disqualify them. Did not disqualify them. Why? Because this is the truth about our God. Listen carefully. Our God and Savior Jesus Christ does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He doesn't go around saying, who's qualified that I can really rely on? Who's qualified that I know will never fail me? Who's qualified with all kinds of abilities? That's not how the Lord does it. He does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He calls and He gives the abilities. He gives the giftings. He gives the opportunities. He Fills his people with everything they need to accomplish his purpose. 
How does Christ qualify his partners? How does he do this? How does he qualify people? He does it in a specific purpose that he has in his calling. There's a specific purpose. Now, Luke doesn't quite give us the insight, but if we go to the Gospel of Mark and we listen to Mark as he adds a little bit more to the specifics of this call, it's very, very helpful to see how does Jesus qualify people to be his partners in ministry. This is how he does it. Mark 3, 14. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. He did not choose these twelve men to preach. They were not called to preach. They were called to be with him. They were called to be disciples, learners of Jesus. That's what disciple means, followers of Jesus. They were called to be with him, and from being with him, then he would send them out on their mission. They would be truly apostles, which means an ascent one. They were sent out from the one to whom they were called to be with. You see, the word apostle here, it defines their occupation, not their vocation. We use those words synonymously in English so often, occupation, vocation. But they have very different meanings when we're talking about discipleship. They come from different root words. Occupation has the idea of what you do. What you do. What your work is. But vocation has to do with your calling. And it specifically has to do with who called you. Their vocation was to be with Jesus. That's what he called them to. And then out of that vocation, they would have their occupation. And they would go do what he called them to do. And young people here this morning, as you commence, don't ever forget that order. If you are a Christian, you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, your calling is the same as my calling and the calling of every other disciple. Jesus met you and he called you not for you to go do something first. He called you to be with him. He called you to himself. And as you are with him, he will make it crystal clear what you're supposed to do. And it may be radically different than you're thinking right now. If someone had told me many years ago, when I walked across that high school platform, you, yes you, Sam Polson, are going to be a preacher and a pastor, I would have thought, you have lost your mind. 
Not in a thousand years. Well, I've got this all planned out. Friend, listen. Jesus has called you to himself. And when you're called, you're called to be with him. And then he will send you out to do his work. But I want to tell you something. What you, may be, you might consider now is the last thing you would ever want to do. You will find, if you walk with Jesus and you're with Jesus, you will find it what he wants you to do for him, the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. And you wouldn't trade it for the world. He's a good God. You, you need to just forget if I serve the Lord, he might make me do something miserable and I don't want to be miserable. Well, friend, listen. You serve the Lord and you follow him. You'll be more content on your most difficult days than other people are on their best day. Because the Lord is good. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you all, how will he not also with you freely give you all things? What's your call, young people? What's your call, mom and dad? What's the call still upon us of a certain age? <laughs> Our call is to be with Jesus. And then he will send us to do what he wants us to do. That's the introduction of this message. But I think it's where the Lord wants us to stop right now. Let's bow our heads together. Here's what I want you to know, young people. I want you to know... All my friends here and everyone that is watching and participating in worship, here's what I want us all to know. Oh, it's all about the king, right? It's all about the king. The king of the ages, Jesus Christ. What an infinite, incredible, unimaginable truth that he has called us. To be with him. To be brought out of darkness and into light. To be brought into his presence as one of his partners. And to share with him that calling as a child of the Father. And to serve him on this earth. And then to rule and reign with him forever and ever. What a savior. What a king. It's all about the king. King Jesus. Worthy are you. Worthy of you. Of all blessing and honor. All power. All glory. You are the lamb. That was slain. For us. And you are the victor.
who has conquered for us. You are the high priest who intercedes for us. And you are the king who reigns now and forever. And you are coming for us. Oh, Lord God, thank you that you've called us by name. And we have this privilege of serving you. And Lord, I thank you this day that the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. And we thank you for this hour. And we pray for grace to shine in the name of Jesus. And the people of God said,